and get started here. Let me let me have a word of prayer and we'll move forward in the chapter here. Let's let's pray. Lord, we thank you just for the salvation that you bought us. Lord, the fact that there is so much more involved in it than many believers ever grasp. Lord, we so many recognize salvation as having to do with their eternal destiny, but Lord, it has so much to do with your provision for the here and now. Lord, we thank you for the chapter we began last week, a chapter on cultivation, and Lord, how you are cultivating us. You are working in our lives to teach us, not I, but Christ, and to grow us in our understanding of what it means to be in Christ. Lord, we thank you that involved in our salvation package is the provision of the Holy Spirit who is in us to guide us, to teach us, to take those things that are Christ and make them known unto us. And Lord, I just pray that uh, we would be open and receptive to his ministry this day. Lord, He know, we, we are your workmanship and he knows where each of us is in the development process. He knows what each of us is ready to learn. And Lord, we're just trusting him to guide in our time, first in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Okay, we started in on chapter 17 uh, last week, uh, a chapter on cultivation. We only have one more uh, chapter uh, in uh, the book, uh, so we will be finishing up pretty soon. Uh, uh, the elders have talked, and we are going to get the larger book and at least do one more section uh, in it. We may take a pause after that, but uh, in the section dealing with our position and our condition uh, in Christ. And it's a, uh, another really important uh, section to deal with. So uh, I'll be ordering those books in the next week or so to have some on hand. And uh, so uh, that's what we'll be doing uh, after we finish up. Uh, this book. Okay, of course, last week we dealt with, started dealing with the issue of cultivation and that God, from the moment of our salvation onward, is cultivating us. He's developing us. Uh, it's not like on the day we got saved and, okay, we've arrived. No, it's a lifelong journey. And of course, much earlier in this book, about the second chapter, I think we had the chapter on time and just how important it is for us to grasp in our Christian lives the time factor uh, involved, that God is not in a hurry. Uh, God is not a creature of time. He created time. Time is not a problem to him. Uh, time, and God is going to take as much time as is necessary uh, to develop you and me. We also, in one of the earlier chapters, saw his purpose. His purpose is to conform us to the image of Christ. 
That is what he is doing in your life and mine. That is his goal for you and, and for me. His number one goal isn't what we can go do for him. His goal is producing Christ in us. And as Christ is produced, of course, along with, with that is going to come a servant's heart and, and is going to come the capacity, uh, to uh, be involved in his work. But we just have to understand in our own lives and in ministering to others that God you know, is starting with us as baby Christians, and over time he is growing us, he is developing us. Now, last week, just a little bit of review to get us to where, up to where uh, we're at. Um, last week we did see that um, God's cultivation of us uh, begins in a downward uh, direction. And that's something a lot of times we, we don't grasp. And it's something that we often fail to keep in mind when we're working with others. And downward growth is God showing us what we are apart from Christ. You know, and that is important. You know, Paul talked about not I but Christ. And when we start our Christian life out, we don't really grasp the not I part. Um, we thought, well, yeah, I wasn't righteous enough to get into heaven. Yeah, I had sins that needed to be paid for. But Christ, you know, saved me. And now I'm going to get out there and I'm going to do my best for him. And we still don't really grasp the, the scriptural principle that in my flesh dwells no good thing. We tend to think that's a bit of an exaggeration. You know, surely there's some good in me and things. So a lot of our early, well, our initial growth, a lot of times he, uh, it's like with a newborn baby. You know, when a baby's first born, all we do is we just kind of cuddle it and take care of it. And, you know, uh, but there comes a point in its development then where we begin dealing with things. And in our early days of the Christian life, a lot of times, yeah, everything goes along pretty easily. You know, we're excited, we're saved, you know, it's all new and fresh. And God gives us maybe a bit of a honeymoon there at the beginning uh, where he doesn't really start uh, taking on all these different issues that we need to be aware of. But that point ends at a time, and God begins to show us the things that are going on in our life. Why? So that ultimately we will come to see we don't just need Christ as our ticket into heaven. We need Christ as our all in all. That I need Christ as my life. And that I cannot live the Christian life apart from him. I used to tell my students all over and over, the Christian life's not a difficult life, it's an impossible life. We cannot produce it. It's Christ's life. And he keep he's working to bring us to that place uh, that Paul came to in Romans 7. The good I want to do, I can't do. The evil I don't want to do, I continually do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? 
thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. You know, Paul, you know, that that downward journey had brought him to that place of saying, no, I can't produce the righteousness I want to. And I, there's this, these evil things in my life that I don't want to do and I keep doing them. And he came to see himself as wretched. And then he found the answer. And that's when we move into Romans 8 and, and beyond. You know, in, in developing us, we saw last week, the Lord always concentrates on the greater need. And he, he said, since the work of God is essentially spiritual, it demands spiritual people for its doing, and the measure of their spirituality will determine the measure of their value to the Lord. And I said last week, when he says the measure of their value to the Lord, I'm not talking about as a child, I'm talking about in the realm of of service. Uh, you know, uh, if, if I am going to be valued by God as a servant, it's going to require that I be developed spiritually. As a child, one child of God, I think, is as valuable to God as another child of God. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about as God prepares us for his service. And he, you know, so he says, in God's mind, the servant is more than the work. It's not about what we can do for God. He wants to develop you and me to the point where that service flows from who we are, from that Christ-like life. Um, and then we we saw, and this is kind of in the area, I think, where we left off last week. He said, it is a mistake uh, to measure uh, spiritual maturity uh, merely by the presence of gifts. And, you know, we uh, we discussed this a little last week. You know, I said, you know, I'm not negate, and he's not negating the importance of, of spiritual gifts. If spiritual gifts were not important, God wouldn't have given them to us. But the presence of gifts are not an evidence of maturity, and that's a, a mistake we can make. Uh, just because someone is gifted in an area doesn't mean that he's spiritually mature. It just means that God has gifted him in that area. And God is not satisfied with us just using our gifts. And, you know, I talked about that last week. I said, you know, I, I look back, uh, in, uh, no, I have notes that go back 30, 40 years. And I look back at some of the uh, things I taught uh, years and years and years ago, and I look at them and I think, I can't believe I was able to teach that because I didn't understand that. Uh, and I think that was an issue of gifting, that God was allowing me to teach things beyond my understanding, but he he wasn't satisfied with that. He has been working in my life to bring me along. I'm going to try. I'm getting up to where I'm going to have my PowerPoint. So let me see if I can get this thing going. 
No. Um, yeah. So let me put this one on. This is where we're at. Uh, the TV has shut down. Want to hand me the uh, remote? Is, is, uh, the TV has sat idle too long, and okay, yeah, let's see what huh? Okay, here. Okay. So if I can get turned around without knocking my computer off with my foot. I said, see if I can get turned around without knocking the computer off with my foot. For those listening to to the MP3, uh, I'm in a wheelchair because I had surgery on my foot, and things are very awkward up here trying to deal with this. So. Okay, so he says it's a mistake to measure uh, spiritual maturity based by the on the presence of gifts. He says, you know, by themselves they are an inadequate basis for a man's lasting influence to God. You know, they're there, they're valuable, and you know we talked about it last week. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that somebody shouldn't use their spiritual gifts till they're mature. No, if you have, uh, when you have a spiritual gift, and we all do, use it, and God will along the way grow you too. But uh, He gave you those gifts, uh, utilize them, uh, but don't think that because you have this gift that now you are a mature believer. Recognize that it's just something that God has given to you uh, to enable you uh, to play a role within the body of Christ. And he uh, says, you know, God's goal, and and we saw this again in a, a much earlier chapter, is to see Christ inwrought in the believer. That is his goal. He wants, when people look at you, he wants them to get a glimpse of what Christ is like. Now, we're all a long ways from that. Um, but hopefully we're getting closer as God develops us. And at times, you'll be surprised that people see things that you might not even realize they see. Uh, that they uh, get glimpses of him that you may not even realize you're showing forth. And that's, that's the way it should be. Uh, I think when, when we uh, do something, we think, wow, that was Christ-like. That probably was self. <laughs> when the life of Christ flows through us, all, generally what we do, we don't give a whole lot of thought to it. You know, it, it just flowed from him, his life being produced in us. And somebody else may look at it and see it for what it is. Uh, but generally, we, we won't. Uh, and I think a lot of the stuff that we will one day be rewarded for are things that we have no clue uh, about. 
that uh, we were just available. God used us. And that's where grace uh, comes in with rewards. Uh, we basically get rewarded for what God does through us, uh, not through uh, for what we do for him. Uh, he says, you know, just let me use you, then I'll reward you for what I do. Uh, and and so even when it comes, and I'm diverging a little here, but uh, I think even in that area, uh there's just so much that flows from us at times that we don't recognize, and that's okay because it's not about us becoming proud of how Christ-like we are. You know, it's recognizing just that Christ is at work in us. And But he says, you know, his goal is to see Christ inwrought in the believers. So it is not merely that a man does certain things or speaks certain words, but that a certain that he is a certain kind of man. He is what he preaches. He says, "Too many want to preach without being the thing themselves." But in the long run, it matters what we are, and not simply what we do or say that matters with God. And the difference lies in the formation of Christ within. And I think that's important. You know, the most important thing isn't, you know, that I can lay forth a strong theological case. Uh, you know, it's that the life of Christ is being formed in me. You know, too often we're caught up in in the words and and uh just our actions but not so much in the importance of the very life of Christ being seen in and through us now he says we are not saved to serve we are matured to serve and i think that's a very important statement and it's one that's often missed. And I know we I, we saw the problem with this in, in Ireland uh, when we were serving there. There were so many, many, well, I was told at one point you say, uh, by another missionary, he said, you can travel all over Ireland and find men and women who accepted Christ as Savior, and they are no longer affiliated with any church. They have become so discouraged, you know, that they've just walked away from the church. And a lot of it was because people would get saved and immediately, you know, you're saved, now you need to get out there and serve God. And they weren't mature enough for a lot of the things they got pushed into. I saw it with, you know, just this turnover of leadership within churches. They would put men in leadership who had only known the Lord two or three years, if that, and they're leaders in a church, and they are not ready to face what leaders in the church face, and so they get discouraged and quit. And so you put, you replace them with some other immature believers, and they get discouraged and quit. And so you replace them with some other uh, immature believers. And some of it, I think, was uh, the result of, you know, um, 
some of the missions agencies they're wanting to go in there there's pressures from from the churches in the state you need to get that church planted and turned over to to local leadership we don't need to uh, just keep having a missionary there and so there was this effort to let's let's you know get this church planted let's get elders in there and let's move on and plant another church that didn't work real well and I said at one time, you know, with our group, I said, we're going to have to stay with some of these churches long enough for them to get solid. Or it, it's just going to be the same thing happening over and over and over again. And so, you know, we aren't saved to serve. We are matured to serve. Now, that doesn't mean that if you want to uh, try uh, seek to serve the Lord before you're totally mature, that something's wrong with that no again as you seek to serve him he's going to show you a lot about yourself and he's going to use it to grow you i'm not discouraging service but i'm just saying don't become disheartened when in service everything's not going along smoothly you're struggling you're failing at times just realize god is in the process of cultivating you he's seeking to mature you He's, and this comes into play in dealing with others. He says, only to the extent that cultivation reveals self for what it is, are we in a position to assist others in their cultivation. You know, an understanding of the struggles I've had in my Christian growth helps me be better able to encourage somebody else in the uh, with the struggles they're having and to yeah again we've shared and i've said it many times but when we went to ireland among the you know uh one of this young woman came to me and she said you know i'm saved i know i'm going to heaven when i die but i just can't live the christian life i'm ready to just quit trying and i said you're at a really good place You've learned the hard part. Now, I could say that because of my own experience in God developing me. I could understand her being at a point of discouragement like that. And I could understand that that's a good place to be when you begin to understand the not I part of the equation. You're ready for somebody to start showing you the but I, but Christ part of it. And that's what, uh, you know, we offered to her. We said, do you want to, are you willing to start meeting with Jonelle and me? And, and we'll begin to show you Christ and who you are and what you have in him. And she said, well, I'm ready for that. But, you know, oftentimes, again, when you have immature believers serving the Lord, and I'm not trying to discourage them from doing that, but at times they're very intolerant of the struggles of others because they have not yet gone through enough. <laughs> And it's, you know, just get your act together. And that's what, you know, this young woman and others were told over and over again, basically. <laughs> but why? Because the ones who were over them weren't a whole lot more mature than they, but they were a little better at playing the game. 
And so, you know, the ones who can play the game real well and, and put on the outward appearances, they say, you know, just do it. But those who have struggled, those who have failed, those who have seen the hand of God lift them up out of that failure and develop them, they are the ones then that the Lord uses to cultivate other uh, people. And so he says... We find out everyone else by first finding ourselves out. And he quotes from Proverbs 27.19. He says, As in water face answereth to face, so the heart of man to man. As I see myself, as I see my own struggles, as I see, you know, what God's taking me through, then I can look at somebody else and I can understand what they're going through and and be gracious and compassionate to them in it. He says, to counterbalance our knowledge of self, our Father enables us to grow in grace in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Second Peter 3.18. And that's the beauty of God's cultivation. Yes, it starts downward, and there's always an element of downward growth going on where God is showing us what we are apart from Christ. But he's always seeking to balance it out <coughs> Excuse me, by showing us who we are in Christ and growing us in our understanding of his grace. And he says this is not uh, only true concerning general service, but in the matter of our ministry of intercession. And he says, more than anything Else, the service of prayer for others necessitates a triune understanding, that of our Father, of ourselves, and of others. And, you know, stop and think about it. You know, for me to really, if I see a brother or sister really struggling, I will be better able to intercede for them if I really understand all that's involved in that struggle. And so he says, man, God's cultivation of us, his developing our, uh, you know, our understanding of what the old man, that fleshly life is like, is important for me to know how to intercede for others and, and, and to cooperate with God in it. Because a lot of times, you know, it's so easy. We see somebody going through something and if we don't really understand the way God works, our prayer might be, God, just lift this circumstance from them. Where in reality, we're praying against God. Because God's trying to use that circumstance to grow them. And, you know, as, we've, as we see in our own lives how God works in that way, then as we see somebody going through something, we can pray, I think, in an honest intelligent way and it's not lord just take this away but lord open their eyes to the truths you're trying to teach them in this grow them in their understanding of the the provision they already have in christ you know uh, again uh, our prayers get changed as we begin to understand more fully the, the Christian life and how God works 
in our lives and in the lives of others. He says, praying for others can only flow from a heart at rest about itself. And knowing the value of the of the desires which it expresses for another, I could not truly be happy praying otherwise. That's stony. Paul wrote that he would pray with the Spirit, uh, by the Holy Spirit that is within me, but I will also pray intelligently with my mind and understanding. And that's from 1 Corinthians 14, 15, from the Amplified Translation. You know, he's saying, Paul says, look, I, I pray led by the Spirit, but I pray with my mind and understanding. You know, I pray, you know, with an understanding of what God is at work doing. You know, I, uh, you know, he's taught me these things. Now, uh, this next sentence I've found to be pretty true. It says, so many of us, after having entered into some of the deeper realities of our Lord, seek to immediately pull or push others into this wonderful advancement and then wonder why they are slow, so slow to learn and seemingly apathetic in their understanding and concern. We so easily forget the many years it took and what wandering wilderness ways our Lord had to traverse with us to bring us over Jordan into Canaan. You know, uh, we met with a, a, a young man going through this study. Well, it was just him and, I, and a, a, a woman that had come out of an abusive background. Uh, they couldn't come when we had our study with the students at night, so we met with them in the afternoon while we were up there in Waukesha. And, oh man, you know, the truths just meant so much to him. And so uh, he was at work. He was over a lot of different people. He went and bought them all a book and gave them all a book. And then he couldn't understand why they didn't think it was as... <laughs> You know, why he didn't get, they didn't get as excited about it as he was. Because they had not been brought to the place he had been brought to. He had walked away from the Lord for a while. He had, uh, just really, um, gone through a lot. And the Lord had worked and brought him back. And so he was at that place. A lot like that uh, young woman in Ireland. You know, he had learned the not-I part of it uh, pretty well. And because he had learned the not-I part of it, uh, when he was presented with a lot of the truths of, of what God's doing and seeking to produce Christ, it meant so much to him. But these other folks weren't at that point. And, you know, when uh, I actually taught this in Sunday school up in uh, Waukesha, and, you know, our pastor, he, he, he said all the time, I wish everybody in the church would come and, and take the class. And I told him, I said, Tom, not everybody in this church is ready for it. And Joan Allen and my pr- prayer all the time is, Lord, bring out the ones whose hearts are prepared. Because, Lord, only you know, you know, the ones that have been brought to the place in their spiritual development, that they're ready uh, to hear these truths. There's other truths they might need to learn first. But, uh, and so, you know, Joe and I have always just kind of had the attitude, Lord, you bring who you want, and that's fine. And... uh, 
I, I know up there we had times we met with one or two. Uh, we had times when we had 80 students in our home uh, uh, going through it. So um, it, it's it's been varied. Uh, I know I had another missionary uh, that was visiting the school one time, and they came when we had a big crowd of students, and they and they they were amazed. They couldn't believe that many. But I said, this is a unique situation. The students that God has brought to this school are men and women that he has really prepared a lot in advance. And you will not find many situations like this where you have that many hearts <laughs> at that point uh, at the same time. And so I, I counted it a kind of a unique situation, one I was incredible uh, that Joe and I were incredibly thankful for. Uh, but it's generally not our expectation. Uh, but we're always thankful for the ones that the Lord uh, brings. And uh, he knows who's ready. But, and, you know, even, even in teaching, I always had to keep in mind how long it took God to teach me certain things and not have unrealistic expectations of my students. Because I could have something that God had just taught me in the last year, you know, and I, I could walk into the classroom all excited about it and share it and wonder, you know, why don't they just get it? And yet, you know, I had been a Christian for 60 plus years. And it took me that long to get it. And I'm expecting to say it to them and and they just grab hold of it now some of them may have been a bit sharper than me so maybe they would but but uh you know we do have to keep in mind again chapter two time that in our dealings with people there's a time factor and and we've got to be patient and realize at times the long journey we've had to get where we're at. And not expect others necessarily to get there faster. Some will get there faster. But that shouldn't be our expectation. He says, Moses um, had all the wisdom of the Egyptians, yet his idea of delivering Israel was to slay an Egyptian. He had to be trained in God's ways, having 40 years in Midian. And when he was sent back to Egypt, God said to him, uh, not to trouble about Israel, go directly to Pharaoh, the cause of the chains. God didn't train Israel at first, but a leader to lead Israel. And so he says, God seeks to get leaders trained in the knowledge of his ways. And, you know, the, the elders here in this church, I'm sure God has taken you through a lot to bring you to the position you're in. And, you know, I, uh, I've been in churches where men were put in eldership, eldership positions who shouldn't have been put in eldership positions because they hadn't, they weren't far enough along in their own uh, understanding. And so he seeks to train leaders first. And to the extent that we learn how the Father has had to handle 
uh, us through the years, we will understand how he would have us to share with others. You know, up at school, I guess, you know, somebody gave me a sign to hang over my desk, grace, because I always talked about grace. And I always talked about grace because that is the way God has handled me. He has been so incredibly gracious to me over the years. And I believe he would have me to be gracious with others. Am I always? No. My flesh gets in the way too along the way. And, you know, even grace has a a point where it draws lines for the sake of that other person. Grace doesn't just overlook everything. I think that's a misunderstanding of grace. Uh, Grace is... A true grace is really only made possible, I think, uh, in Christ. Because true grace is made possible by the fact that Christ has already paid the penalty uh, uh, for uh, sin. And, and uh, therefore, grace is not simply overlooking things. Grace is accepting God's uh, payment for things along the way. But... Um, you know, it's just the way God has handled me. And uh, earlier in my Christian life, I would not have been anywhere near as gracious. It's been that journey of seeing God dealing with me in grace day after day after day after day after day. And so, he says... You know, we must be cultivated to be cultivators. And he says, it's injurious for one believer to be forcing another into blessing which the soul is not ready for. Forced advance really gives the enemy his opportunity to mislead. For those who try to rush on uh, at the push of others cannot stand alone nor bear the tests of their assumed position. And that's what I was sharing about in Ireland. You had people who were rushed along, who were pushed into positions uh, who where they couldn't stand. And he says, we really have to understand the cultivation process of the Lord. And uh, let him use us in cultivating others, but realize that Certain positions require people who have been cultivated by the Lord and have been brought to a certain uh, level. He says, then, uh, too, in all our service, there is a proper motive to be fully considered. He says, work should be uh, regarded less with reference to its immediate results or as to how it may affect this or that person. The great question is, will it, when sifted in his presence, be acceptable to him? You know, we want to weigh whether something we did was right or wrong by the results we see. God is gracious and sometimes brings results even when we do it the wrong way. Now, a classic passage I used to use with my students when I was going through Genesis is, you know, 
all the stuff going on in Jacob's family with Leah, Leah and Rachel and the maids and all that, you know. And Leah, at one point, you know, she gives her maid to uh, to Jacob as as a concubine because Rachel had given hers. And and then Leah gets pregnant and has a child. And her thing is, uh, she, uh, she names him. I forget what the name was, but she said, basically, God has rewarded me for you know what I did for my husband and I said that is a classic mistake to think that because something good happens that's that's God's seal of approval God is a gracious God and sometimes does good things even when we do things in a wrong way and even in Christian circles there's a lot of times we'll do this and and then somebody gets saved and you say see that means that's God's approval on our on our method no it's just that God's concerned about saving people enough that even if we do it in some stupid way uh and some way that really doesn't honor him he's still gonna uh, try to save somebody uh Again, that's his grace. Uh, and he says, what really matters is when we are in his presence, <laughs> will he say our actions were acceptable to him? They were what he desired. And this, uh, and he quotes from Second Corinthians 5, 9, and this acceptability to him is my reward. Wherefore, we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted to him. Whether I see results or not, what matters is if my, uh, my life and my actions were acceptable to him. It says, many seem to droop because there are no grapes and are not happy unless they are doing. Doing is right enough in itself, but order ought to be from happiness to work and not work to be happy. It's from the inner circle, the hive, the heart, <coughs> where Christ reigns, the only green spot, the fond enclosure, the sanctuary, that one should come forth to work. The quality of one's work depends on the nature of one's rest. And the rest... Uh, should be like his own, known and enjoyed with him. He says, I'm not, he's saying, look, I'm not saying that doing is not, is not important, but he said it ought to flow from a heart that's at rest with the Lord. It ought to flow from that relationship with him. Many go about the Christian life in, in a backwards way. We'll do the right thing and then will ultimately end up at the right place. No, you grow properly and the doing will ultimately flow from it. He says, and we're out about out of time, but we have but small ideas of how our outward bears the colors of our of our inward. <laughs> and if our inward is not restful, there cannot be rest imparting service, however it may be attempted. And I think that's a true statement. If we want to have a ministry that brings rest to others, we have to come to a place of rest in our own Christian life. He says, P.S., the greatest proof of our love for Christ is that we care for those who belong to him. If you love me, feed my sheep. (coughs) 
Okay, we're out of time. Let me have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for the cultivating process you're carrying out in each of our lives. And Lord, we must admit at times uh, we struggle with it. At times it's uncomfortable. But Lord, we're thankful for the peace we can have if we understand that everything you're allowing into our lives is being used by you towards the goal of conforming us to the image of your dear Son. What a high calling we have. Lord, may we learn to just trust you as you cultivate us, but Lord, also trust you as uh, you work through us to cultivate others. And Lord, may we come to understand the process you're taking them through and know how to encourage them as they go through it. Lord, we pray now for the uh, service ahead, the time we'll be able to spend praising you in song, and the time we'll be able to spend in your word. We just look to you uh, to work in and through it in each of our lives. First, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.